Uh, this morning we are beginning a new series called In Context. This is sort of like a, a new version of the Bible Says What series. We might do that one again someday, but I have had, actually over the, over the months I do have people come to me and be like, I was, Pastor, I was reading something in the Bible. This would be a good one for the Bible Says What series. So, so we have a few of those probably we still need to do. But, um, but we are going to do a series called In Context. I'm going to explain why in just a moment. But I just want to start by saying this. You know, I, I hope you know, and if you don't know me, then you can know this now. I, I am the furthest thing from being against you making the word of God prominent in your home, obviously. I want that for you. I want that for your home. In Deuteronomy 6, you might know that it says the Israelites were told to take the commandments of God and impress them on their children, talk about them everywhere, all the time, tie them as symbols on their hands, bind them to their foreheads, write them on the door frames of their houses and gates. And so in your home, if you're going to put a sign up somewhere, like some kind of lettered sign, whatever, I would way rather it says something like, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, than live your best life. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm for that. I'm for you putting scriptures uh, up on your wall or your mirror or whatever you guys do. So let's be clear, we're not poo-pooing that. Uh, in fact, I asked you in the email devotional and um, on our socials this week to share with me some of the scriptures you have up in your home. So I have a few of them to share. I'll start with this one. This one's mine. This is in my kitchen. My, it's only part of the verse because that's all I had space for, my tiny little letterboard. But I know what it says. My grace is sufficient for you. Just like every day in my kitchen. The, <laughs> Jesus tells me, my grace is sufficient for you. All right, the next one is... Oh, this one's from Daphne. It says, first of all, Nanny and Poppy's house. That's cute, too. Uh, it says, as for me and my house, I, we will serve the Lord. So there you go. There you go. Ray and Daphne have got that uh, deckled right there on their, on their wall. The next one says, oh, this one I can't read. Is Pernilla actually in the room? Do you want to just tell us what it says? You can say, you can say it in Swedish. Oh. <laughs> oh, awesome. That's from uh, Psalm 37. Psalm 37, yes, so there you go. That one I couldn't read for you. Okay, the next one. Thanks, Vanilla, for that one. This one is in my parents' house, actually. My mom said, I don't know if this cheats. It's not actually a scripture, but it's just so true. Jesus loves me. This I know. Um, is there one more? Yeah, well, one, one more that we're allowed to show right now, right? Yeah. Okay, give me the next one. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. From Proverbs chapter 3 in the King James, I would assume, in that translation. Uh, so, did we catch them all? That was six of them, right? You have the seventh ready for me. We're not ready for the seventh yet, though. Okay. So uh, we have these scriptures in our homes, and I promise you that if you shared a scripture with me, took the time to take a picture that I would select. So this is my Pixter app. I'm going to do it live right here. One of you is going to get a prize. And you'll see it's, okay, you'll see it's like, can you see, Shay? I'm not cheating. It's not like my mom's name in here six times or anything like that. <laughs> Pick. Pick one name at random. Come and read it. Yeah, come and read it. Just read it, what it says. Arlene, yeah, okay. <laughs> That's the technology that we were using this morning. Uh, so Arlene, for participating so well, she gets a prize for that. I don't know what that's going to be. Yet. Probably just 
the joy of my presence in your life is probably what it's going to be. You know? <laughs> so we love these. We love, I, I love we have scripture in our home. It's actually biblical to put scripture in our home like that. And I'm sure, how many of you have something like that in your home? Like written somewhere, some kind of plaque, some kind of, yeah, it's, it's amazing. The problem with this is when we have one verse set out like this, um, the problem is that sometimes these verses can, can become cliche, right? We get so used to seeing them that we don't actually think about what they mean anymore. But I want to, in this series, hopefully create a yes and with this idea. Yes, let's write the word of God on the door frames of our homes. Um, and also, yes, let's make sure that we know where these verses came from and really appreciate the word of God in context. Yeah, I see where we're going here? Okay, let's do this. Um, I believe that the, the context of any one, any verse actually in, in the scriptures, the context will actually make what these scriptures mean richer and deeper for you. And sometimes, uh, not you guys, but sometimes it's been known that we, we use uh, scripture verses that we're really familiar with as a platitude. Um, sometimes we, like I said, they can be cliche. Sometimes even a justification for something. I'm going to go there at the end of this month. Here's, here's an example of what I mean. Sometimes it's like you're, you're doing something, whatever it is, you haven't really prayed about it. You're just doing the thing that you want to do. And you're like, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And you're like, oh, wow, that's not in context, okay? So that's what I mean. Sometimes if we're not careful, we might use some scriptures the way they were not intended to be used. So, um, and I, I would argue that if you zoom out from any given verse in Scripture, you're going to find more light and more life than you realized was even there. And that's what I'm hoping we can accomplish together in this series. We only have time to look at four of these kinds of Scriptures in the month of June, but my hope is that this zoom out kind of principle will be something you can apply in your daily devotional life and anytime, even in the Scriptures you already have in your home, apply them to that and get an even deeper appreciation and a deeper application for these scriptures for you. So next week we're going to look at James 5.16, which is a funny one. Actually, this is only half of a verse, but this is the part we like to quote. The prayer of the righteous person is powerful and effective. It's a good verse. There's so much more going on in James 5. On Father's Day, Dave is going to look at 1 Corinthians 10.13. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. That's going to be a really cool take on that. And we'll finish with Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. You're like, no, don't go there. I need that verse to be what I need it to be. Yeah, no, we're going to go that way. We're going to go there. But today we're going to kick off with uh, the one that I found on P Pastor Ethan's wall. I'll show you here. We're going to start with this one. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Famously, Jeremiah 29, 11. Don't you just love that verse? Like, that's a good one. You have to admit. Uh, Pastor Ethan would like to make it known that he's not really one for putting these kinds of signs on his wall. Somebody gave it to him, and this is just an appropriate place to hang it. I don't know if that's true. There's no evidence for that. I think he probably went out and bought it and put it on the wall himself. But nobody knows. <laughs> nobody can. There's no evidence one way or the other. That's just what he told me. I'm just saying. It is an amazing verse like to, to not only be known by God, but to know that that same God also is planning to prosper you and also planning to give you a hope and a future. It's no wonder that we love to quote this verse. It's no wonder that we hang it on the walls of our home and the walls of our office, wherever. It's, it's, it makes sense. 
But friends, there is so much going on in Jeremiah 29. So let's read it in context, shall we? Jeremiah 29. Go ahead and open your Bibles to that. Uh, it's uh, in, of course, the Version app under More Than Events. Load it up for you there already. We're just going to give you the reference here this morning. There are Bibles in front of you. Of course, you can look it up electronically, or you can just sit and listen to what is going on here. Let's read this rather large section in Jeremiah 29 so we can really understand where this verse sits. This is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the other people Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jehoiachin and the queen mother, the court officials, and the leaders of Judah and Jerusalem, the skilled workers, and the artisans had gone into exile from Jerusalem. He entrusted the letter to Elisha, son of Shaphan, and to Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to Nebuchadnezzar. Why do I keep saying Nezard? King Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon, it said. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there, do not decrease. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says, do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. You may say, the Lord has raised up prophets for us in Babylon, but this is what the Lord says about the king who sits on David's throne and all the people who remain in this city, your fellow citizens who did not go with you into exile. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I will send the sword and famine and plague against them and I will make them like figs so that they are so bad they cannot be eaten. I will pursue them with the sword, famine and plague and will make them abhorrent to the kingdoms of the earth, a curse and an object, object of horror and of scorn and reproach among the nations where I drive them. For they have not listened to my words, declares the Lord. Words that I sent them again and again by my servants, the prophets, and you exiles have not listened either, declares the Lord. Therefore, hear the word of the Lord, uh, all you exiles whom I have sent away from Jerusalem to Babylon. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says about Ahab, the son of Kaliah, and Zedekiah, the son of Manasseh, who are prophesying lies to you in my name. I will deliver them into the hands of King Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and he will put them to death before your very eyes. Because of them, all the exiles from Judah, 
therefore, in Babylon will use this curse. May the Lord treat you like Zedekiah and Ahab, whom the king of Babylon burned in the fire. For they have done outrageous things in Israel. They've committed adultery with their neighbor's wives. And in my name they have uttered lies, which I did not authorize. I know it, and am witness to it, declares the Lord. That's a, that's a, that's a lot surrounding that verse. Don't you agree? <laughs> There's a lot going on here. I almost, I almost didn't read the whole thing, but I think it's important. Like we just could read the word of God together when we gather. I think that's always a good thing. But I want you to know that as you read this, I, um, there is in prophetic literature, like in, in the prophet, when you read the prophets, there's sometimes a metaphor that's being used and that kind of thing. I want you to know it's, this is not symbolism or metaphor. Jerusalem really had been captured. It wasn't a spiritual capture, though that was part of it. Uh, they really had been captured. And most of the Israelites had been taken into captivity and exiled into Babylon. And this happened, actually, historically, you can read, it happened in waves. But at the time of Jeremiah's letter, it seems that the complete capture and destruction of Jerusalem had happened. So that included the walls being torn down, which uh, you'll read later that Nehemiah uh, led them to rebuild and that the temple had been destroyed, which in the book of Ezra, you can read about how that was rebuilt. So all of that destruction was now complete. And we understand from the way that this chapter starts, the introduction to this letter that's being sent from Jeremiah, that word had reached him in Jerusalem that some of the exiled false prophets were predicting that Babylon would soon collapse and that the exiles would be returned to their homeland in short order. I mean, honestly, it's not that far-fetched because uh, if you're reading the Bible in a year plan, remember we just went through Judges. How often did God, especially in the book of Judges, like come and just rescue his people from an oppressor? That somebody who was coming and just wreaking havoc on the, on the people of Israel and, and even though they were being disobedient and stubborn and all the things and God would, would raise up somebody to, to save them. So it's not totally far-fetched that this would happen. God had saved them like this many times, the way that the, these false prophets were prophesying in Babylon. But Jeremiah knew that it was his duty to warn those exiles that they were actually being delusional. And he wrote them a letter in 594 BC. Uh, that's the one that we had just read. And in fact, uh, this is not Jeremiah's first tangle with false prophecy. If you have the scriptures in front of you, just scroll back one chapter or scroll back. I assume it's digital. Did you hear that? Just scroll back one chapter. Flip a page if you want, back one chapter. And you'll see in the NIV, uh, this section is called the false prophet Hananiah. And this, this whole chapter is in an account of a showdown in Jerusalem between Hananiah, who was predicting that Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, would be overthrown in two years, and, and it was, that's what he was saying. And Jeremiah was um, not predicting as much of that as he was predicting Hananiah's death for leading the people into this lie. And um, Hananiah died two months later. That's how that happens in Jeremiah 29. So his, his um, tangle with false prophecy was not new. And so chapter 29 is sort of a, an extension of that. But instead of it being in Jerusalem, he's writing to the exiles in Babylon saying, I know this is happening there too. And it needs to stop. The Israelites, remember, would have been devastated. I want you to just put yourself in their shoes for a moment. They were captive. They were living exactly how the prophets warned them that they would be living. They'd been warned for years, many, many, many years. 
and they were probably just looking around them and thinking this was the worst, because it was. It was just an awful situation that they found themselves in. Imagine watching your city be torn apart. Imagine the chaos and the confusion and your children crying in fear and then walking for weeks under the watchful eye of the Babylonian army and made to settle in a foreign country. It would have been terrifying and heart-wrenching and hopeless. And I don't know about you, but I would be, I would be if, I had, if you made it to Babylon alive, you'd be looking for any shred of hope you could find. They'd be like, I'm just too sad, I'm too broken, I'm too ashamed, I'm too afraid. I've got to have something to hold on to. Give me something to hold on to here in Babylon. And so that's what they did. They were looking so hard for something to hold on to, they created a false hope. They told the prophets who were in exile with them, who were known to be prophets before they were there, that it was time for them to get some new prophecy. Like it's time for a new prophetic word, people. Let's go. Uh, like right now. So Jeremiah, literally in, in verse 8, the ha- second half of verse 8, Jeremiah calls this, the dreams you encourage them to have. Probably there was an exchange of money. It's like, hey, we're going to pay you. We're going to take care of you. You need to prophesy something a lot better than what's happening right now. The dreams you encourage them to have. We don't know the specifics of the messages that they were sharing. Probably it was similar to Uh, what was happening in in chapter 28, these kinds of things. But we know that they started prophesying, we'll just put that in quotes, what the people wanted to hear. It's going to be all right. It's going to be over soon. The Lord's going to come and destroy Babylon, make it all right again. And when Jeremiah hears about this, he sends them a true message from the Lord and says basically this, settle in, build houses, Have families. Plant gardens. You're going to be here for 70 years. Pray for Babylon, actually, while you're there. Because the peace and prosperity of Babylon will be your peace and prosperity. So pray for this nation. Pray for this city. And when this is all over, the Lord says, I'm going to deal with Babylon. you, You don't have to worry about that. But you just need to seek me. And you will find me and you will be restored. And it's going to be through this, this, in this season you're in, through the building and planting in a foreign country, the place that you don't want to be, that there will be from that place a new beginning. And God's promises will be fulfilled. That's what's actually going to happen here. And I, God's kind of saying this, I, I don't care how great you think Ahab and Zedekiah are. They are doing evil and they're leading you astray and I'm going to deal with them too. That's the back half of that passage that we read. So in summary, he's basically saying you were warned, you chose to disobey generation after generation. And this now is the consequence for your disobedience. You'll be an exile in a foreign land for 70 years. But I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. I have plans to give you a hope and a future. There is some context, friends. For those of you who are interested, maybe you are uh, history buffs and this kind of thing interests you, Um, there was lots of notes in in my reading about this, that like that 70 years, (laughs) how how to perfectly calculate 70 years. So if you're interested, 
It's actually difficult to do uh, that 70 years because the timeline depends on when you start and when you stop because uh, the Babylonians came against Jerusalem twice, and twice they came away with exiles. Uh, Babylon's capital fell at one point, but then the empire fell at a different point. The temple was rebuilt at a certain point, but before that, the first group of deportees from Babylon back to Jerusalem returned. So it's not close. I mean, it's not perfect, but it's close. Uh, 70 years, but it's interesting that it, it probably wasn't exactly 70 years, but it was very close to that amount of time, seven decades. And really, if you, know, if you know about symbolism in scripture, 70 almost certainly is symbolic here of a period of divine judgment. So it's both literal and symbolic. So there are a few things that I, I want us, there's lots of things that we could pick up from this, but there's a few things I want to I wanna point out for you in this scripture as we take this really famous verse, Jeremiah 29, 11, and we read it and learn about it in context. The first thing I want you to see is that difficulty doesn't mean the absence of God's plan. Like, you really got to hold on to this. I know it's, it's tough to have a theology of suffering. But difficulty doesn't mean the absence of God's plan. Their struggle in this time in Israel's history was God at work, actually. Is that hard to hear? I did not say their struggle was ultimately God working something out for good that the enemy meant for evil. That can be true. But here, that's not what's going on. This was God's plan for them. This was the necessary next thing for them. Listen, sometimes the struggles in our lives are the reality of living in a broken world. Sometimes they are. We are living in a sinful world that needs to be uh, for Jesus to come and make completely all things new. I think we were having a conversation at dinner last night, just talking about some of the crazy stuff going on in the world. I think I said like four times, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Like there is just, there are things that are so broken in this world. Romans 8 tells us the whole world is like groaning, all of creation is groaning for the creator to come and make things ultimately new. And rightly so, like sickness and pain and grief are all symptoms of living in a fallen world. That's just unfortunately part of the situation. This is the not yet of the kingdom of God. We have the already, all that Christ has done for us, all that he continues to do for us now. But there's the, there's the not yet of the kingdom of God. Sometimes our struggles in our lives are the enemy. Satan, the one who hates you, by the way. He is attacking us. Uh, scripture is really clear about this. He's trying to get us to sin. He's tempting us. He's trying to stop us from trusting God. He's trying to distract us from our calling, from holiness. He's doing all of these things to try to get the people of God to not be the people of God. So sometimes our struggles have to do with the enemy of our soul. But sometimes our struggles are the consequence of our own poor decisions. We went a certain way, and this is the natural consequence, the natural outcome of that choice. God loves us. That's what free will is all about, and he allows us to make those decisions. Ultimately, God is, uh, since God is, is sovereign over all, our struggles are allowed by him. We know that. But even in some cases, as we're learning here this morning, even brought on by him. Ooh, is that, a hard, is that hard to hear? It's difficult to swallow that one, I know. 
Verse 4 says, God is saying, all those I carried into exile. That was his sovereign choice for the people of Israel in that 70-year season. God did this work himself. So you might ask yourself, yeah, but why? Don't we have a good, good father? It's who you are. Yeah, yeah. It's who you are. It's in 6-8, so it feels good like that. It's who you are. Don't, isn't that true? Are we lying when we say that? How could a good, good father do something like this? Not just allow something like this, but literally like, like, like take them into exile on purpose, into suffering? How does that work? Isn't he a good father? And I would say to you, absolutely yes. And because of that, he knows that so often we will only learn when we have hit the bottom. Man, I wish that wasn't true of us. <laughs> right, you, you know what? I won't speak for you. I wish that wasn't true of me. <laughs> I wish that wasn't true of me. And also, the thing we can never lose sight of is that our God is holy and he is perfect. Everything he does is perfect. He's not selfish. He's not meddling. He's not malicious. He's perfectly holy, then everything he does is perfect. And so what he does uh, must be in line with his perfection and is in line with his perfection or his holiness, his righteousness, his justice, and his love and his mercy. And so in all of those things that he is, he acts perfectly according to what, uh, to what needs to happen to what is the most loving thing for you, the most necessary thing. Like I, and I, I hope you can sort of wrap your head around that. Because of God's holiness, he will walk us into a struggle sometimes. He loves you that much. I know that might be hard to wrap your head around. We could unpack that for a really long time. If you want to read a resource that I found really helpful around this, Jackie Hill Perry's book, Holier Than Thou, really unpacks this beautifully if, if you want to read that some more. The 70-year exile was part of God's plan to give Judah a hope and a future. Which seems like it does, that sentence doesn't make sense, but that's literally what the scripture says. The larger purpose here was that God understood he wanted the people of God to turn their hearts back toward him. And he, he was willing to give up their comfort in that moment and in that season for their ultimate good and restoration and redemption. And the problem in our lives is that it can be very hard to discern in our own circumstances where our struggle is coming from and the reason why we are in a struggle right now to know why something is happening in our lives. But I believe uh, more often than not, our loving father who is perfect in all of his ways. I just realized I wrote that. I must have been thinking about the song when I wrote this. Our loving father who is perfect in all of his ways allows or perhaps even orchestrates difficulty for your benefit. I'm just going to let that be awkward for a minute. And the thing about the way that the Lord does this is that it is never struggle for the sake of struggle. Because what do we say? He is a perfect, loving 
Father. This struggle is to purify and to teach our hearts. This is a struggle to humble us and to save us from our destructive self-concern. And so sometimes we need to go through a struggle so that we can be refined in the fire. I came across this as in, our, in our reading plan for this year, Proverbs 13.10. I'm actually going to preach on this in, in the summer because it really, it just jumped off the page at me. Proverbs 13.10 says, where there is strife, does anybody have any strife in their life? Where there is strife, it says, there is pride. Like, not my pride, like the other person who's causing me strife, their pride probably. No, right? Like, where there is strife, there is pride, Proverbs says. And so as God allows and or brings us through struggle on purpose, he is doing a refining work in us. When we face difficulty, we are invited to look for God's plan in it. And I'll give you a little hint. There's a really strong chance that there is something that needs to be refined in your own heart. I set this up before I said this section just reminding you that there are different reasons for struggle in our lives. Not everything you're walking through, like I said, is because God is walking you through it on purpose. Some things are allowed for some reason that we maybe don't understand, like the book of Job sort of thing. Some things are are an attack of the enemy, and we need church, the Holy Spirit, to teach us to discern these things. But what I don't want us to do is to discount this principle, that it's not always an external force, but that sometimes God is saying, there is something I need to refine in you. Walk with me through this struggle. Walk with me through this struggle. Difficulty doesn't mean the absence of God's plan. It could be God's plan. And so, secondly, I'll say this. Find rest in him in every season. I keep seeing this meme pop up everywhere, uh, because, and I love it because it's so true. Adulthood is saying, do we have this one, Vaughn? <laughs> Adulthood is saying, but after this week, things will slow down a bit over and over again until you die. <laughs> That's just ridiculously true. We always have a tendency to think that we'll find peace when things are better in our lives. When things aren't so chaotic, when we get through this season, when this circumstance is over, then we'll really be okay. But the peace and presence of Jesus, his rest, are for every season. I don't know why you're going through the circumstance you're going through. I don't know what, what the reason is. I, 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 you all have to discern that maybe on your own or with the help of some brothers and sisters praying for you, whatever. But regardless of the reason that you're walking through the season or circumstance you're in, I'll tell you that the peace and presence of Jesus are for every season. Not for the end of them, but for all seasons. Matthew 11, I just love these couple of verses. I'm sure you do too. 28 to 30. Jesus does not say, come to me, all who are strong and feeling great. (laughs) He does not, although please do. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So whatever you're facing... The invitation to trust Jesus and to find rest for your soul is there for you. 
And from that place, understanding that invitation, you can pray. You can pray for the condition of your own soul. You can pray for your opponents. You can pray for whatever you need to pray for. You can find that peace and that presence of Christ. In verses 10 and 11 in Jeremiah 29, we read that building and planting will happen in a very unexpected environment. Settle down, build houses, have kids, have their kids have kids. There can be some beautiful building and planting in a season. The blessing of God, his rest, are not reserved for the end of the circumstance. You just have to white knuckle and hold on till you get there. No, no. The, 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 the blessing of God is alive and active in the moment of struggle, in your present circumstances, in the moment right now as you look to him for everything you need. So first of all, difficulty doesn't mean the absence of God's plan. Secondly, we can find rest in him in every season. And thirdly, God's presence is the ultimate promise. I don't know what you're hoping for at the end of your circumstance here as a resolution to whatever you're walking through in the season that you're in. I'm not sure what it is, but I got to tell you that in, in this world, we're going to have trouble. But that in that it doesn't matter, and even if, you know, even if the thing you're walking through now or the difficult season you're in now resolves itself, there's just probably going to be another one. <laughs> Hallelujah. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus, right? Make all things new. We, we, that's, that still needs to happen. And so the ultimate promise is not that you will feel better or that the situation will resolve itself. The ultimate promise for your life on earth and for eternity is knowing the presence of God. And there's a promise for that in you because he's promised that he will be with you. What's easy to lose sight of is that what you are actually longing for in your life, in the discomfort, in the disconcerting uh, situation you're in, what you actually need more than anything is the presence of God. The Israelites kind of had this idea that the only true place that they could meet with God was in Jerusalem, in the temple, offering those prescribed sacrifices. And while those things were beautiful and good, they were only methods. They were not a magic formula. It was possible for the people of God to pray outside of the promised land. God didn't only hear the prayers that were offered in the temple in Jerusalem when everything was going perfectly well. There they are in exile in Babylon, and he says, pray. Pray right where you are. Seek me right where you are. It doesn't matter where you are. You are always at home because of the presence of God in your life. You will find him when you seek him with all of your heart, Scripture says. He'll be found by you. Circumstances don't have to be ideal. You don't have to figure everything out first before you can know the presence of God. You will find him when you turn toward him. You will literally find him when you turn toward him. What I mean by that is that we can be so distracted in our circumstance. We can be so worried and concerned. We can be so wrapped up in trying to fix everything ourselves that we miss the fact that we just, if we just realign our hearts and look up and look to find Jesus, you will find his peace and his presence was just right there. 
It's just a surrendering to it. You, you, really can't, you really can't try to control everything in your life and find this kind of presence and peace. But when you give that to the Lord, that's exactly what you'll find. I was thinking about this verse this morning. John 14. Jesus is comforting his disciples and talking to them just before he went to the cross. And he says in verse 23, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the father who sent me. All this I have spoken while still with you. But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things, will remind you of everything I have said. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give you to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. If that's not the word of Jesus to each one of us, to say, it doesn't matter the circumstance or season. My presence and peace is with you now. And there will be joy in the morning. There will be beauty from ashes. Like, those are such beautiful promises in Scripture. You will not always be in the place you are now. You will not always struggle the way that you're struggling. Some of those things will be resolved in this lifetime, but I promise you as a follower of Christ, they will all be resolved one day in heaven for eternity. Amen. I guess maybe you don't struggle. Maybe you, also, maybe you all don't struggle. I'm just telling that for me, <laughs> I'm so glad that one day this will be done. This struggle will be over, and he will make all things new. So with that in mind, with all of these things in mind, knowing the context of that verse in Jeremiah, I can even say with more assurance that I know the plans God has for me are to prosper me and not to harm me. I know that his plans are to give me a hope and a future. Because difficulty does not mean the absence of his plan. Because I can rest in him in every season and find his peace and presence. And that his presence is a promise that I can count on every day of my life. And so, I can read Jeremiah 29, 11 in context. To me, and a deep assurance that the Lord is with me. You sense that, church? And so we didn't take some, some time this morning, gather around the Lord's table. It's a beautiful opportunity for us to be able to literally be reminded of the presence of God in our lives. These, uh, these symbolic things that say, we, we are literally partaking in remembrance of proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes. And it matters because uh, in these moments that are solemn, we are reminded that, that we are not alone, but that everything that Jesus said he would do, he has done. And that he still continues to be present with us and care about us. He has done all he will, has said he would do, and so every promise that is still yet to be fulfilled will be fulfilled. And so we proclaim his death, scripture says, until he comes. Because we can have full hope and assurance that everything he said he would do, he's going to do. So we gather around this table. 
thankful for the fulfilled promise of a savior, of a Messiah, the one who would forgive our sins and make us new and bring us into relationship with the Father. And so let's do that together.